Welcome to Modern Marketing Messages, the leading podcast discussing the latest and greatest in both online and offline marketing tactics, strategies, and trends. I'm your host, Taylor Karg, marketing content writer at AmericanEagle.com. Today, we're going to talk about enterprise architecture and more specifically about company mergers and the implications going through a merger has on a company's technology stack. This particular scenario is something that the guests I have here with me are seeing on a more regular basis. They are well-versed in what it all means, the associated pain points and challenges, and how to solve for those pain points in a way that is most efficient for everyone involved. So with that being said, let's welcome Landon De Pasquale, AmericanEagle.com WordPress expert, Scrum Master, and today's guest host. Landon, thanks for coming back and joining us today. Thanks, Taylor. It's great to be back. We also have here with us Brad Skeen, Director of Enterprise Technology at AmericanEagle.com. Hi, Taylor. Do you guys both want to take turns and just explain a little bit about you know how long you've been at the company and what's exactly that you do for us here? Absolutely. Brad, why don't you uh, take it first? Sure. So my name is Brad Skeen. I'm the Director of Enterprise Architecture here at AmericanEagle.com. I've been with the company for about 14 years and in IT for about 24 years starting off as a web, uh, well, not in the web because it was predating the web, but I did uh, custom application development when I first started and quickly moved into the web in the 90s, mid-90s, and worked with companies as big as GE and as small as a two-person startup. So wow. got quite a breadth of experience as far as size goes and uh, have really kind of found my niche in the space with enterprises. Enjoy, awesome. the, enjoy the big puzzles the most. Awesome. My name's Landon. Obviously, I've been here for almost three years now. I'm a Scrum Master and Product Owner here at American Eagle, and I focus on enterprise WordPress implementations. Uh, my background is in WordPress, so it has been a good fit here. And I've really enjoyed, um, as Brad said, getting to tackle some of those bigger problems or those more uh, chunky issues. Awesome. And actually, if you guys have not listened yet, Landon was on an episode of Modern Marketing Messages not too long ago where we talked all about, you know, his experience with WordPress and then we mixed it up with a marketing lens. So it's true. I yeah. think if I remember right, Taylor, I might have suggested that Gutenberg was a good content editing experience in that podcast. Do you, do you I believe that? we did talk about the Gutenberg editor. Are yeah. you do you want to backtrack? On I, that? I know I, I may have said it's the best content editor in the world. And I would just like to reinforce that at the beginning of this call, especially for enterprise clients. Yeah. <laughs> for enterprise clients. Gutenberg is the best content editor in the world. So we just eliminated 50% of our content for today because yeah. we'll only be talking about one stack, apparently. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. <laughs> that has been an episode of Modern Marketing Messages. <laughs> okay, so getting into today's topic, let's set the stage for what it is we're going to talk about. First, I think we should just explain what enterprise architecture is. Yeah, it's a bit of an anomaly for a lot of people. So if you go online and you look it up, you're going to find definitions that are very abstract and are probably more confusing than they are clarifying. If we could distill it down to a very simple answer, you're basically marrying your business requirements and strategies with IT solutions that make those things work and then encompassing that in a governance structure with policy that really makes it viable. I gotcha. So how does enterprise architecture relate to today's topic of company mergers and technology stacks. Oh, in very large ways. Yeah. So <laughs> as companies come together, obviously there's a lot of challenges that come into play from the standpoint of your business requirements. So you're probably going to be changing some of your policies from one side or another. You're trying to find the best of breed between two different entities in many cases. You'll end up with redundancies. You'll end up with things that you need to streamline. And then your tech has to support that. 
And largely we see in these mergers, you might have really abstract tech stacks coming together. And in some cases, there's obvious redundancies that need to be removed or reduced. But um, in more cases, you might have challenges around the resource pool and who might be working on any given piece of the IT structure. And you might have a lot of work to do when it comes to trying to get your resources aligned with one stack that's going to be efficient going forward. I think that's one of the interesting areas where you and I have kind of come together on this because Brett is obviously an enterprise architect and I'm I'm not <laughs> probably <laughs> the, the least qualified Neither person to I. be in, in this conversation. <laughs> um, but I think what has come out of this has been a appreciation and discussion for what it looks like for people on the ground, for folks who are kind of on the receiving end of an enterprise architecture, so to speak. What does it look like for them to implement and engage that? And so um, because Brad is coming more from kind of the top down, how do I architect this and what does it look like? And I'm kind of coming from the bottom up. How do these people use this? Hopefully we'll provide a range of views uh, across that that experience. And is this something that, you know, clients or prospective clients have been coming to you guys saying we need to figure out, you know, how to merge our tech stacks? Absolutely. So there's a lot of transformation that's been taking place. COVID has got a lot to do with that as well. A lot of companies that were working a lot more across the table from one another no longer do that or are doing it much less than they were before. And there's a huge demand for a digital transformation for a lot of these companies. And mergers and acquisitions have been very popular in the enterprise space of late. And more and more, they're understanding these challenges need to be addressed head on as soon as the merger even starts to get discussed. They're doing some due diligence on the tech side, making sure that there's going to be a path and a roadmap for success when it comes to the new solution. So let's get into some of the challenges or pain points you see from these companies that are going through a merger or acquisition. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that is at the highest level would be the stack selection. And when I say stack, and that can mean different things to different people, I'm referring to the actual technology stack as in Microsoft versus LAMP versus JAM, different approaches that are being used, different technologies that are being used at a macro level. And if you are separate or duplicative in that, you're probably looking at multiple vendors for one specific category or function of technology. You might be looking at teams of people from a resource pool that will not understand or be able to effectively work on, on the other side of the fence, so to speak. So when you do have a dual stack coming together in a merger, that's one of the things that you want to address at a macro level. That's one of the big problems that we see. And then you see there's variance in evolution. So a company that might have a nice, elegant technical solution might be coming together with one that doesn't. And in those cases, it's usually easy to identify what direction they need to go. Mm -hmm. But what's more common is that both companies will be in the midst of their own transformation. You will have some pieces of the technology that are up to date and that are current, and you'll have others that are legacy and really in the midst of being deprecated. And you have to figure out how now to blend those two large problems into one puzzle that you can try to solve. And that gets complicated as you have different people on the ground who have very different desires for what they want the outcome to be. In an ideal circumstance, everyone is kind of pulling in the same direction and they all want that success for the company, for this merger. But as anytime there's a change or a shift, you can see people oftentimes looking out for different interests. And so we've seen situations where on the ground, what is obviously the right technology choice may not end up getting adoption by the folks that are using it because they have other concerns or other things that they're working through. Do you have an example of what one of those other concerns could be or may be in your experience? Do you want me to take that? Go for it. <laughs> I, I think the thing that 
around a merger anyone gets freaked out about is redundancy and not redundancy in a technical sense redundancy in a is my job going away and yeah. am i gonna have to file for unemployment and so a lot of times you'll see people clinging to processes that they are integral to in order to I think in in a way try and keep their job or try and keep an importance in there or maybe it's not even a job loss maybe it's I want to keep the stature that I had before I don't want to get demoted and so mm-hmm. I think one of the things that we've seen as we've worked together on some of these projects is trying to help people understand that this digital transformation is really in their best interest and it is really positive for them and it's going to be better in the long run even if in the short term it doesn't feel like they're moving in a direction that's going to help them out. Yeah, I would I would echo what Landon's saying that change brings anxiety, and yeah, these are absolutely. these are huge changes that are impactful to people's lives, and so they're bringing that anxiety to the table. And when you run into a situation where there's a lot of change and you're not comfortable in something new that you're trying to do, you'll fall back into old patterns, you'll fall into old habits. So adoption does become a big problem when you're trying to really transform the tools that people use, the practices that they go about, their policies, procedures. Everything needs to be addressed in such a way that you're accommodating the stakeholders and helping them to understand the real question of uh, answering the question of why. Why are we going to go this direction? Why would this particular approach be better than what we've been doing on our side or what they've been doing on their side? In many cases, it's a compromise. We'll end up finding a tech solution that either combines some of what was best on both sides of the fence or we'll go a direction that doesn't directly align with either side in many cases based on what we've learned through our experience working with several different clients in this. And do you find it's hard to, you know, gain buy-in from everybody that's involved or is it easier once you kind of what you just said, once you explain the why behind all of your decisions? Because, I, you know, for myself in that kind of scenario, I think if I understood more of why you guys are doing what you did, then I would be, you know, more so going along with it. Yeah, one of the things that we'd like to try to do is ensure that we point to data to support the decisions that we're making because Mm -hmm. it makes it a lot easier to justify an approach or a direction. A lot of times we'll get that pushback from people that aren't comfortable with a specific pattern or, or going in another direction strategically. And then when the data supports exactly why you should do that, it becomes an argument that's really hard to have. You know, we can't argue against ROI. We can't r- argue yeah. against the dollars, the efficiency, et cetera. So being able to bring a third party to the table with experience that can show and you know proven results with other efforts is very helpful. But the one thing I would caution about is that trying to get buy-in from everybody and to make everybody a major stakeholder really makes for a very slow process and at the end of the day, failure. Seems stressful as well. (laughs) Because people will tie to their old ways in such a way that transformation and change is not going to be a viable option to everyone at the table. I'm glad you, uh, you mentioned that because I think one of the things that we've seen as we've dug into this is finding the right people to get the right sort of buy-in and then allowing the rest of the group to kind of come along at their own pace. Right. And it's very important that that leadership structure start to formulate as part of the merger prior to trying to enforce these new changes onto everyone. Because if you have people that are not understanding what the authority is or who they need to turn to or who's going to lead then that makes for the problem to be not a tech problem, but a business problem that, uh, yeah. that needs then to be Yeah, then you have solved. a bigger problem on your hands, exactly. I think. <laughs> yeah, and we end up finding ourselves running as referees a lot of times, right? Indeed. We really? end up finding ourselves <laughs> in this position where we're trying to referee between multiple stakeholders or multiple people who have different desires or different outcomes that they're looking for. Wow. So what kind of challenges does this bring on branding or branding and marketing purposes? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, so... 
obviously I may have stated some of my bias earlier in this podcast. <laughs> um, I might be slightly biased towards WordPress as a as a platform. One of the interesting things about WordPress in particular, but I think you could say this about just about any other serious enterprise undertaking, is that when it comes to branding and marketing, the marketing folks are oftentimes the ones who are running your digital assets. They're running your website. They're running your social media. They're, they're running whatever you're engaging. And so whatever solution we come to, while we may have very clear technical requirements in mind, we may have very clear business requirements in mind, we always have in the back of our head, who is the end user? Who is the person who's actually going to use this? What marketing person is ultimately at the end of the day going to have to get into the system and make it usable? And so one of the things that we try and find is as we look at this from a marketing standpoint, what can we do to make people's lives easier? And then from a branding standpoint, how are we going to update lots of assets in lots of different places in order to bring this new brand alive? And I think WordPress has a very specific way of solving that, but I think every enterprise architecture that we've looked at, every platform, um, has its own way of solving those problems and its own way of digging into those issues. Yeah, it's a very complicated question to answer because there are so many different facets to it. You might have two very recognizable brands coming together, in which case you don't want to lose that brand equity yeah. from either side. Mm -hmm. um, that translates into a domain authority when it comes to you know the URLs that are being used for the websites for these companies. And so you know, starting off with a strategy that really starts to address that and understand the depth of the problem itself is very important. You might go the direction of becoming a house of brands. You might go the direction of becoming a branded house, or you might have a hybrid. And all of those examples are out there in the enterprises that, that we've dealt with. That decision is impactful to the technology that gets selected and then obviously the approach that you'd use from a, from a domain standpoint. We've had companies that have merged and come under one domain. And we've had others that have chosen to stay independent with the domains that are out there, but the underlying technology became consistent, giving them a lot of efficiencies that they would not have otherwise gained. I think that also now I'm thinking about it in terms of, you know, all of the things that I wrote for case studies on projects that we've done. And we've done, or I've written quite a few case studies on brands or companies, you know, that want to merge most of their websites into like one unified field, but they keep all their URLs different, all their domains different. So when you were talking about that, I was like, wow, just, you know, putting it in perspective, things that I've learned over time and seeing what people have done in their own websites. That multi-site architecture can be really interesting from an SEO standpoint. I know neither of us are digital marketers, but that almost always becomes a consideration when we're thinking about how to tackle this problem. Certainly. Yeah, and interesting is the right word to use. <laughs> We've seen all different, you know, the whole specter of different ways to approach it. So let's move on to solutions. What are these solutions to alleviate these pain points? What are kind of those first steps to bridge from the challenges to moving on to solutions? That's a great question. So I think you really take a look at it from the standpoint of adopting a process that people can buy into. We need to understand where you are today. And that would be from both the companies that are involved. So really understanding the current state, evaluating that, analyzing, pointing out the things that they might already know from the standpoint of some of this technology needed to go away before we ever merged <laughs> and now it still really needs to go away. Or it needs to be updated or we have pieces that are missing. And being able to identify then the gap between that current state as it exists and where you want to be with your future state starts to form your roadmap for your transformation. I think this is a really important point. We see this a lot on these sorts of projects. If you're ever undertaking a project like this, the best thing you can do to help yourself is to be honest with us 
about where you're at. Because the reality is, is what we see in a lot of these circumstances are people who are, they're not trying to be dishonest, they're not trying to lie, but they maybe don't want to air out all of their dirty laundry to us. And so what we end up finding is, as we start to peel back the onion and peel back the layers and dig down into that dirty hamper of really disgusting, dirty laundry. I realize I'm mixing my metaphors here. But, uh, we find things that absolutely impact on the sort of solution that we would offer, but also are opportunities for us to solve pain points or solve problems. And the worst thing you can do is not tell us about those things so that we get down a certain path or down a certain road and then realize at the end, oh, actually, if we had known about this earlier, we could have done something about this. Um, and I can think of a few clients in particular that have run into these problems. And being open, being honest, and not doing the whole, I wondered when you were going to ask this question, as opposed to, hey, here are some of our concerns yeah, up, front, up front. being up front, right, is enormously helpful for us. Yeah, be forthcoming for sure. And we end up finding those things often too late in the process when people aren't up front with information about where some of the challenges live. We'll ask pain points right out of the gate. You know, we want to understand where is the staff struggling or where are you struggling as a company with your solutions. But ideally, you know, the people that are that are right up front with that information, we can even have a chuckle about it. I'm thinking of specific case studies where based on the growth of the company being very fast and um, the new tech solutions coming into play very quickly and on a very limited budget with a very short staff, um, they were putting together tech solutions that make, you know, everybody's analogy about Frankenstein and, and duct tape and every other yeah. one that you can think of. Um, almost to the point of, of you had to admire it. it. It was exceptional that it actually worked yeah. and that they were able to accomplish as much as they did on such a limited capacity without any elegance or a lot of licensing or anything else. But then understanding when they reach that point, now we need to transform. We've got to unwind a lot of what we've got in those places and start using the right technology for the right job. A very successful project because they were so upfront and forthcoming to expose, hey, we know we're doing this the wrong way, but this is how we're doing it. Helped us really understand where their data actually lived, where we never would have thought to look in some cases because it was so abstract from yeah. what you, what purpose you would think would be served by a given tool. And that helped us a lot with the migration, getting the data into the right place and, and ensuring that we had the right source of truth going forward. And there's no embarrassment there. Like You're not going to shock us. You're not going to tell us something that we haven't heard already. Like. Some of the largest, most successful organizations have nightmares when it comes to their their infrastructure and their their architecture. So, tell us, like your doctor, just just be honest with yeah. us. Tell us what you're actually doing. <laughs> That's right, and we we can help you out. When you kind of cushion how many drinks you have a week or something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the more we know, the better. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to talk about, you know, crossover and dual stack implementations. How do you know what stack is going to be meaningful to you as an organization? Okay, yeah, very good question. We usually start at that. Like I mentioned before, we, we start at the stack level. I want to understand the technology that's in place that's successful today and hopefully not have to deviate too far from that in, in, as opposed to improve it. And so that would be one of the big determining factors. Resources are a huge part of that. If you have a successful Microsoft implementation, chances are your resources are aligned on the .NET stack. You know those programming languages, C-sharp, et cetera, and you're probably going to continue to succeed if we keep you in that space. In other cases where we do see a dual stack even coming into a single company, we'll point out the inefficiencies that are resulting and what they can expect down the road. As that tech becomes more elegant or more requirements fall into it moving forward as you continue to evolve, the expense will start to compound. 
you'll have more teams you have to deal with, you'll have more vendors you'll have to deal with, more licensing, et cetera, and the redundancy will start to hurt. And that, that pain point is when a lot of folks will come to us and say, okay, now we recognize the problem, what do we do about it? Hopefully we can head that off by exposing it a little bit earlier in the process. So Brad, one of the questions I have is, as we think about dual stack, obviously we wanna stay on a single stack, but sometimes we have a lot of different microservices or apps or platforms that are all engaging or interacting together in an enterprise setting. What does an architecture look like that has a lot of different moving parts that are all trying to interface despite trying to keep them all in the same stack? Yeah, as, as the world has become a lot more convenient with integrations, as the digital world has made that a simpler process, we've been able to bring together service-oriented architectures that do incorporate multiple stacks as their underlying technology, but it's a black box to the overall solution. And what I mean by that is you might have a learning management system that you use as it is produced. You're not customizing it, you're not turning it into anything that it wasn't intended to be, or you're not extending it beyond the capacity that they're providing. Most likely you're using that software as a service, and therefore your resources and your tech stack are less dependent upon the way that is built under the hood. So we do have a lot of enterprises we work with that do have that sort of structure. And I can tell you from my own experience and knowledge that they are operating on multiple stacks. More and more you'll see client-facing stacks being more popular in those particular environments because you're able to do more with JavaScript on the front end to support any sort of customization or user requirement that might be needed in that experience. Sure. So you might have, for example, a world-class CMS on the back end where you're doing all your content management and your information, whereas on the front end, you might have a more agnostic system where, say, a website might generate your your pages for you, or you might have a third-party solution handling inventory or products or stuff like that. That's exactly right, and I'm surprised that you didn't take the opportunity to plug WordPress again. <laughs> I mean, when I said world, world-class CMS, I just figured everyone knew you what I was talking about. You didn't realize that's I what mean, he was talking about? It was about? clearly <laughs> a WordPress backend using Gutenberg in order to achieve this goal. <laughs> yeah, and there are times when that exact approach is important. As you get to the point where, you know, obviously we've torn down monoliths for years, and you get to the point where you even need to start to tear down the service-oriented architecture into microservices, it becomes important that you decouple those things that might have a unique value or that might have their own security concerns or their own traffic concerns, et cetera. And so that approach is one that as we get bigger as an organization and we're dealing with larger enterprises, it's definitely key to the strategy. Before we move on to the next question, I want to ask, can you describe you know, the monoliths that you're talking about for us marketers who are not totally sure what that is. Certainly, so I'm gonna hit the Wayback Machine and expose my age probably <laughs> quite a bit at this point, but let's just start with the early days of the internet before CMS was an acronym, right? And American Eagle worked with a lot of organizations that had need for quick content updates. We were working with sports organizations quite a bit and scores, you know, during a sporting event, one of their scores updated yeah. on the website. Uh-huh. We would staff people to update the HTML for yeah. those websites. <laughs> in order to make sure that we're trying to keep those scores up to date. Well, if that's a hockey game, that's not so bad. Yeah. If you're talking about basketball, that's that's quite a feat, right? Mm-hmm. And so over time, we understood the need very quickly for what we now call a content management system. We started developing those things. And as other needs started to layer in, like e-commerce, now we have the need for a system that accommodates those transactions online, we would pair those things together in a standard that we could use. And we had different versions of standards. So we had a content management system we had developed, and then we would bring modules into that to extend it to allow for e-commerce. 
as you put more modules into one code base, you're, you're creating a monolith. Okay. And so if we started to bring in, let's say, accounting functions that would more appropriately be in the back office and order management systems to, to accommodate inventory moving and those sort of things, if you're putting that all into one piece of software, that's what we would traditionally call a monolith. And what we found is that a lot of organizations attempted to do this. A lot of big companies did do this, and then they eventually ended up breaking out into suites of available software or applications. You'll find very quickly that people that are great at banking and accounting might not be the greatest at producing a marketing website. Yeah. And, and so we think largely with left side of the brain or right side of the brain, and we have creative versus logical. And in these different types of applications, you see where one is a, a major need and the other not so much. And you see where somebody was on one side of that gamut and tried to play around in the other pool, so to speak. And you end up with a solution that is really good at one core thing, but the other things that are layered on top are, are not succeeding. So as we've come a little bit more current now, we move much more into that service-oriented architecture. Again, applications that are best of breed can be well integrated now, deeply integrated now, in order to simulate that monolith, but with multiple applications all working together in congruence. Awesome, thank you for explaining that. <laughs> I think Salesforce is a really great example of this. Salesforce is incredibly successful. They're a fantastic CRM. They own all sorts of market share across the board. and you can come to Salesforce as a monolith, right? You can have them provide not just your CRM, but every single other part of your business. Yeah. Arguably, they're maybe not great at helping you build your website or helping you manage your products or, or some of the other stuff they get used for, but they're fantastic as a CRM. And so I think that's a great example of a current day monolith that is really good at one thing, but can also provide a lot of other options. And in a lot of cases, we find clients want to go with something else besides keeping everything in Salesforce. And that's sort of where we see these larger companies have developed their suite. And that has largely been mergers as well. In most cases, they're acquisitions where they've gone out and bought an e-commerce solution to couple with their CMS. They've gone out and bought these back office solutions to accommodate the full need of an enterprise that might couple with what they were really good at and marketed well and became a brand around. And so, you know, these large entities like, you know, the Oracle's SAPs of the world and things like Salesforce that started off with a niche that was very important and they were definitely the best at it as far as recognition goes and the technology that was produced. And they started layering on over time. And now you'll see that they have those separate applications being offered and in many cases being offered by the company that developed the original software that now belongs to Salesforce or whatever large entity it is. So I think that the structure is is the potential is there to succeed, but um, the perception that it is all underneath one house, I think, is a, a little bit of a misperception. Gotcha. It's all under one brand. Yeah. So, Brad, a question I had, and it comes out of our, our working together, is as a company comes to us and they're engaging our services and they're looking for this sort of enterprise architecture help, what does discovery look like when you're trying to dig in and understand what their core business requirements are and what are some of those things that can be left behind, especially in a merger when everyone has their kind of pet core business requirement that's the most important thing and then you're trying to figure out who the actual most important thing is. Right, yeah. So it, it's important to understand who the stakeholders are that actually know or will lead when it comes to making the decisions about what the actual business requirements are. We need to understand the goals they're trying to achieve overall as a business, what strategies are in place today 
And then how are you going to gauge success? So let's put some objectives down that have some measurable KPIs involved where we know key performance indicators, where we know exactly what- I know what what that is. Of course you do, (laughs) maybe someone in the audience didn't. But ideally, to be able to say at the end of the day, if we've hit these marks, we have succeeded. Right? And if we can get to that level of granularity with the business requirements, then it gives us a lot of direction on how we can provide a roadmap to move forward. We can understand what categories need to be addressed. Is this a marketing problem we need to address? Uh, is it a communication issue? Are there tools that are just missing that are keeping the staff from being efficient, et cetera? And we always do start by asking as, as well on the other side, what are the pain points? So it's not just like uh, you know, this, this idea of what would the perfect world look like, but explain what the not perfect world looks like for you on a day-to-day basis so that we can start to get away from the things that are making life difficult. Once we understand those business requirements, we also need to understand your market. Who are we going to be talking to? Who are these tools going to be built for at the end of the day? Who do they need to interface and what are their needs? So once we understand the audiences, then we can move into the user requirements. And that's where things really are, you know, we'd love to be able to start there, but we do have to understand the business end of things first. At the end of the day, that is the more important stakeholder typically because they're really going to drive the ROI that meets those business needs. So what about people who might be listening who are struggling with coming up with their own business requirements? They don't really need to do that, right? They can just hand it off to us and we'll create their business requirements for them? You're nodding, and I'm, I'm going to shake my head. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's not ser- how it works. We can facilitate the effort, and we will attempt to do so as to the best of our ability. But at the end of the day, I can't create a tech solution that solves for an, an ambiguous business requirement. Some of them are core and understood. So we can go in the door knowing that you probably want to make more money. Yeah. Uh, you probably want to grow as an organization. There are going to be certain things that, that are pretty universal. But then beyond that, you know, really understanding what the needs of the organization are and, and what needs to be accomplished. We've got to get indoctrinated into your company as quickly mm-hmm. as we can. As much as we can bring the subject matter expertise to the table from the tech side, we need to know about your specific business and then start to formulate our plan together. The point of my horribly leading question was <laughs> was to bring up the fact that when we have projects like this, there is skin in the game on the client side as well. They yeah. have to be engaged. There is work here to be done. I think if anyone has the idea that, especially at an enterprise level, that you're just going to kind of drop some stuff off for us and we're going to take it from there. That, that's not how this works. That's not what this process looks like. Or we'll open the doors for you and you're going to look at our technology and tell us how to fix it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, it, it gets a little more granular than that. There's a lot more investment that needs to come from, from both sides to, in order to accommodate what needs to happen. And I'm glad you brought the point up. Most large companies are going through these exercises on an annual or quarterly basis where they're determining what are the goals we're focused on right now? What strategies are we going to employ in this period of time in order to try to hit those goals? Sometimes they don't get down to the point of the objectives, which we really do like to drive for, because at the end of the day, if we produce something that's great, but nobody knows how to measure success, there could be arguments internally, and we might have that adoption issue where people say, I don't want to use that. I don't think it's working. Um, it might be working very well, but if we haven't measured it and we haven't provided some form of reporting back what has succeeded, then those questions can still be in play. I think not to scare people off, there is an investment there on the side of the client in engagement, but the fruits of that engagement are incredibly valuable. Like, like anything, that hard work really pays off. Yeah, and I like how you both brought up this point, too, because I think you know, maybe some people who are listening or don't really know much about this topic, they could think that, you know, people like AmericanEagle.com will, you know, do all of that for them. But, uh, you know, it's like as a writer, we always say no one knows the company more than the person we're interviewing or no one knows, 
you know, their story more than them. So it's I like how you were saying the company has skin in the game, too. And I thought that was a great point. Yeah, this is definitely not a just hand it off to someone else and they'll take it for you. You, you definitely have to be engaged in this process because we, we can't do it for you. Absolutely. That's one of the great things about working for AmericanEagle.com is that we, we get to learn and become pseudo experts in all these different industries based on the clients that we interface. Absolutely. And some people find a niche that they specialize in a given vertical and they kind of become our internal expert in that space. And others like Landon and WordPress. That could be. <laughs> so, right? <laughs> I feel super badly for all of the people on my team who are actual WordPress experts no, who are sitting here cringing we, because no, they we put enjoy me out all front of them. To, we enjoy all to, of to them. talk about <laughs> this stuff. Just to be clear, I am not now, nor have I ever been a WordPress expert. Um, I've just been doing it long enough that they let me talk sometimes yeah. about it. <laughs> sometime after this airs, we'll, we'll probably see like a hallway full of the directors from the other departments yeah. and <laughs> Kentico and Sitefinity and Sitecore and iDev and Rock, and they'll all be lined up to have words with the WordPress experts here yeah <laughs> hey that's okay we're happy to showcase everyone you'll stick up for me right Taylor? i will i Thank got you. your back i appreciate yeah, it for the listeners i'm a little more agnostic in my approach than landon is yeah <laughs> yeah all joking aside like we do come at the enterprise architecture thing with trying to find what the best fit is and, and i'll be the first one to tell you like i love working on wordpress it's not the right fit for everyone it's not yeah. the right solution for every every problem and i think one of the things that's great about american eagles we have so many different business units, if you want to call yeah. them that, or, or areas of expertise where if it's an area where you have a very specific technical requirement, chances are we have someone here in the organization who has very, very deep expertise that can hit that, right? Brad, your background yeah. is .NET, and we have folks on all kind of ends of the spectrum around that to, to help you get where you need to be mm -hmm. and ensure that whatever that looks like, it's going to be the best for your enterprise. We solution. are. I mean, I sit next to the salespeople and each call they're on, I always hear we're platform agnostic for a reason. You know, we, like you said, we have a person for basically all of your needs. So, And we definitely don't have rumbles in the parking lot afterwards between the different units <laughs> fighting over who's best. It's It doesn't happen. Although I, that would be fun. I want to put those rumors yeah. to bed. It does not happen. And anyone who says otherwise is not, not telling you the truth. <laughs> So to go back, I have one more question for you guys. We've talked about your technology stack and the implications of a merger. So how do you use all of this technology to support both internal and external needs? How do you make everyone happy? Which is a very loaded question because you can't really do that, but... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, arguably you don't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's where we like to apply maybe the 80-20 rule or the 90-10 rule. We want to accommodate as many types of users as we can, internal and external, and gear that towards success. So if there is a specific need that is going to drive a large amount of revenue, then that's going to be majorly prioritized over the things that might be small nuances or temporary nuances. So some of the things that might impact operations where we have manual efforts that go into play, a lot of folks will be so focused on a technology solution that they'll come up with an elegant automation that will get you away from wasting that 10 minutes every hour. And that might have absolutely no return. It might be that you're throwing a lot of expense into something that is never going to pay you back at that rate. So what we like to take a very pragmatic approach and ensure that anything we're recommending isn't something that could be overcome with you know, two interns as yeah. opposed to you know, coming up with the right elegance solution. Elegance evolves over time. And as the need from you know, 10 minutes out of an hour turns into 40 minutes out of an hour, we can see as that progression is taking place what we need to recommend and prioritize it accordingly. Awesome. Well, that was all of the questions I had for you guys today. Thank you so much for joining me 
I know I learned a ton and Landon, thank you for being here and kind of guiding me through this episode because a lot of it is, you know, way over my head as a writer and a marketer. So Brad, thank you so much. Landon, thank you very much. Always happy to help. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Modern Marketing Messages. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. If you like this episode, follow this podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date with us. While you're at it, give us a rating and share this podcast with others. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Modern Marketing Messages. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm Taylor Clark, and I'll be back with another Modern Marketing Message.